Welcome to Berenson Bond Podcast. This is episode 107 with your host, Corey and Diego Berenson. Hello, Diego. Hello. Hello. Today we have a very, very special guest, Eduardo Martinez, a.k.a. Lalo. Uh, welcome. This has been a long time coming. I'm a big fan. You've been a big part of our lives for one, two, three, four, five, maybe six years already. And it's a real honor to have you here. you uh, inspired my son as thinking, uh, his art, his creativity, his writing. You've ins- helped inspire Sophia's cooking, baking. You know you're you're involved with us, even if it's not on a day to day. So I, I you know a huge thank you, and I appreciate you taking time out of your life to be here with us today. My, oh, thank you, thank you. Oh my goodness, what an introduction, and oh, what a warm welcome. I'm so thankful to be here with you both. Um, yeah, even like I mentioned just a little while ago, just hanging out with you all for 15 minutes, I've learned so much and I've been so inspired already. Um, so to have that um, shared with me that I've maybe done something like that for you all is really meaningful for me. You know, thanks for having me here. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, tra- I'm training a Top Gun journalist over here. <laughs> uh, when I think of the first first podcast, you know, or all of them, they're all a little different. You know, it's like some people say, what what do you do? How exactly do you do this? It's really just about sharing conversations and sharing how to have a conversation. The art of conversation is important. And Diego's really picked up on, you know, being more inquisitive, asking more questions, wanting to know more information and know how to ask. And I think that's helpful going forward in the future. The more we're on digital a lot of stuff is surface level and there's people out there digging and it takes the right questions to get to the right answers. So I think it's a big benefit, but he's, you know, first of like, Hey, me reading to him for a while. And then now, you know, he's starting to read and take on his own interests and know how to ask questions and want to be more inquisitive just in general. Cause I think it helps us all help understand what the confusing world we're in, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. So, oh, so that's the theme. That's the so theme of you all's podcast. Just, just questioning, just being inquisitive, having an open mind, seeking truth. You know, exploring ideas. That's it. You know? Awesome. And, you know, I try to keep cognizant of not saying, you know, this is this is how you should think or this is how you should be or it's just, hey, this is some things I found. I'm learning, and share what I learned. Nice, nice. With who's ever listening or with Diego. Nice. I love it. Yeah. I mean, in the art of conversation, the ability to be able to to volley back and forth the information that we're sharing in the conversation. I mean, it's becoming a lost art um, in the age of digital, just digital, <laughs> in the digital <laughs> age. There's so many screens, so many technologies, and um, it tends to isolate people, you know, and they tend to forget how to just keep it going back and forth, listen respond respond listen and all of that so that you all are doing that here as yeah. father son exploration man that's awesome you two are awesome yeah yeah thank you <laughs> <laughs> so now he's gonna assault you with just he's gonna hammer you in the interrogation style so awesome get ready yes <laughs> <laughs> are you still awake over there yeah <laughs> all right so um i went down the list of just the 
who, what, when, where, what questions. Nice. So, um, so first, who was your, like, first, I guess, like, inspiration? Not for, like, teaching in general, but, like, for anything. I don't know. My first inspiration, just general inspiration. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna mirror you guys right here. Um, the relationship that you have with your dad, um, for me, reminds me of my first inspiration. So my dad, Jose Angel Martinez, rest in peace, passed away a few years ago. Um, you know, we had a hard relationship growing up. Um, the older I got, the more we started to butt heads a bit. But when we were young, my dad taught me how to build bikes, how to, you know, tweak bikes and, and modify them. He, my dad was a real proud Chicano, you know, from the Rio Grande Valley. And uh, he uh, got me into the Chicano culture. He got me into lowriders, got me into lowrider bicycles, got me into like graffiti and kind of break dancing. He wasn't showing me that, but it was part of our culture, you know, and he was real proud of the culture and even like the indigenous part of our culture. And so hanging with my dad at a young age, um, at the time I didn't know it, but he was showing me so many skills and um, hands-on skills. He'd always invite me to like, hey, we're going to go. I got to fix the car. You know, I got to change the alternator. I got to change the fuel filters. Like, come on, help me. Give me the tools. Hand me the tools. And so I'd be there with my dad and he'd be like, you know, okay, give me the crescent wrench. You know, which one's the crescent wrench, dad? And he showed me, you know. Um, And that went on to like later you know, he got me a bicycle. It was like a Schwinn Stingray and it had like the, it was like ugly colors. It was like beige and brown with like ropes painted on. It was like rodeo style, like Schwinn Stingray. <laughs> Maybe it was on sale and he could afford it. And so he got it, you know, but it had that awesome body that's like really coveted in the lowrider, you know, scene. And uh, after I rode it for like a year or two, he's like, you want to make it into a lowrider? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I thought you'd never ask, you know, I mean, and this is me like second grader, first grader, you know, first grade, second grade, maybe third grade. And so we tweaked that bike out. Like we got this, the sissy bar. It's like had a banana seat, like mm-hmm. a banana, yeah. either way, that old school seat. And he told me, you know, sh- showed me how to bend the, the sissy bar and drop the seat real low. And we got the handlebars and put these big ape hanger ha- handlebars and stuff. I'm getting going off on a tangent. I'm just remembering some cool yeah. memories of me and my dad doing stuff. Um, but yeah, he was my first inspiration um, in a big way. Um, you know, later there was others that that I recognized because mm-hmm. it's like this quality that you know you don't really see in people until you see them in action. You know, and that yeah. could be communicating or working with their hands or just like doing their thing. Yeah. So yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. Memory uh, lane. <laughs> Good question, Diego. Uh, what was you like? <laughs> I guess kind of like first dream job. So like if you're talking about like how like into bikes and like all that, like what was your like first dream job, I guess? I don't know. My first dream job. It's funny when I was growing up, I used to think like, you know, yeah, maybe I want to be an astronaut or maybe I want to do something big and glamorous. Um, But I didn't really think start. I didn't start thinking about work until I got older, like in high school. Then I started like, okay, now I got to think about making a living or something and in high school i um i discovered theater mm-hmm. like i accidentally I, I not accidentally um as a joke i went and auditioned for a play for a musical mm-hmm. you know you have to consider that i was like a skateboarder punk rocker you know just very anti-disestablishmentarianistic against the current kid <laughs> yeah. um and uh 
So I went and auditioned as a joke. I told all my skateboarder friends and my punky friends, like, I'm going to go. That We were doing um, Grease that year, the musical Grease. Mm. And I'm like, oh, did you all see that movie? I'm going to be Kanicki. That's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be Kanicki in this. <laughs> and they're like, ah, whatever. And so I went and auditioned. And um, I didn't get in the stage part, like the actor's roles, but the director saw something in me and was like, hey, I want you to learn technical theater. I want you to learn how to run the light boards and to do the spotlights and to do the soundboard and all that. And so he like lured me into the theater. And um, um, after a few years of doing theater, starting technical theater and then getting into um, acting, I had this dream. I'm like, dude, I want to be an actor. Mm. So as a, as like my first real like professional yeah. idea, I was like, man, I want to work. I want to be an actor in the movies or maybe I want to go to Broadway and I want to <laughs> act on Broadway and, you know, do musicals and play and do that whole So you lifestyle. made the shift from helping with the lights on the boards to <clears throat> being in front? Yeah. Yeah. It was a three year transition, but I started off like for the first year doing all tech theater. Oh, that's cool. And by the end of that year, I'm like, dude what they're doing on stage looks so fun. Like, I want to be on stage, you know? Yeah. And so little by little, I'm like, I'm going to try out more, you know? And, and I would try it every time, but I'd get cast as tech theater. But yeah, by my second year, I was, you know, they kind of slowly weaned me onto the stage and to learn the stagecraft. And, um, you know, was doing like chorus roles, like not lead roles, but like just support roles, being part of the ensemble, like not even having a name character, but just being like part of the chorus, part of the, the ensemble part of the team and uh little by little that led to like really going for lead roles you know mm-hmm. and so like my senior year in high school i'm like doing all lead roles and big big stuff like that and it was in the school or was it extracurricular outside it was in in the school during the school year and then in the summer times we'd do summer theater which is still linked with the school and the library and things like that but that was that was my extracurricular we'd do theater in the summer times too but that landed like commercial jobs, like for little local companies, you know, um, paying jobs. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's when I'm like, whoa. Like, whoa, I'm getting can, a paycheck. Yeah, I'm getting a paycheck. And this is a good <laughs> paycheck. Like one hour of commercial work in the studio, like $500. I'm like, wait, how does that compute? You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was like my first dream job was like, well, I want to be an actor, you know? So was there a shift? You know, you kept acting. Did, did you... Do you still want to act or did you did you kind of fade out and say, oh, it's it's too much auditioning at some point or, you know, because I, I got actor friends in California <clears throat> and their their job is just audition. They're, you know, basically auditioning is the job. And when they finally get a spot, yeah. they get paid and maybe, you know, you just do the math and spread it out over the course of the year. Yeah. But on the day to day, it's like searching, looking, yep. auditioning yep. all the time. You know, it just seems not me. I wouldn't do that, but it just seems exhausting. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. you're, you're presenting this performance all the time and the amount of rejection is, is got to yeah. be overwhelming yeah. at some point. Yeah. No, remember that, that remember I mentioned about my dad and the relationship as we got older, as I got older and there was this kind of push pull and uh, my dad didn't like me in, in theater and um he wasn't encouraging of it. He was very discouraging of me being in theater. My mom supported me in theater. Um, and so as we got older and um, I started getting more serious about it. And, uh, you know, I, my, my theater director, <clears throat> Mr. Farr, rest in peace also, um, he was really supportive and, and like trying to educate me and show me like, you can make a living. You can really do this. Like, you're good. You should. Um, and he even took me to um, 
scholarship auditions for college. Oh, okay. um, I mean, out oh, of his wow. own, out of his own like interest in trying to better a student that has potential, you know, mm-hmm. um, he brought me here to Austin and we came and auditioned um, for a bunch of colleges. And the whole reason I went to college was because of my theater director who helped me land a performance based um, scholarship um, in theater. Um, but like I had mentioned, I mean, my dad and I, by this time we had a little struggle with, you know, he didn't like me in the arts. He didn't understand. He was like a working class man, Vietnam veteran, worked his way from the barrio, like the, the poorest neighborhood in, 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 in the Valley in McAllen where we were from. And so he understood labor. Like he understood you work hard, you get a paycheck for your hourly wages. You can rise up that but he didn't understand how to how to how can you make a living like he didn't understand the paychecks I'd get for working um, uh, on a film or not a film, but on a commercial. Mm-hmm. And for like one hour worth of time getting a five hundred dollar paycheck that didn't make sense to him. He's like, well, you didn't build anything. You didn't <clears throat> yeah, fix anything. Totally. Totally. That's fake. Yeah. <laughs> and so my yeah. pops really was he he was encouraging me to, to be like a electrical engineer or a you know, computer programmer or um I, I was real into architectural drafting too in high school, like competing at a UIL level, um, drafting floor plans and and things like that. Um, so that was like I had a dual vision. Like, yeah, my big dream was to be an actor, mm-hmm. but my backup plan was to be an architect. And the backup plan my dad loved, <laughs> he supported that. Um, but my main dream, he was very discouraging of it, like upfront. You know, he would tell me he he didn't like that. He didn't like me involved in that and. So, you know, a dad has a lot of influence on his kid. And even though my dad um, was just like, do what you want to do, do what you need to do. Um, Don't do it for me and whatnot. um, His lack of support in the arts with me being in the arts really made me make some choices later on in life that I guess steered me away from me doing what your friends are doing in, in L.A. Gotcha. You know, so I did pursue it a little bit here in Austin. Um, and did like bilingual Latino theater on the east side for a few years and was making a paycheck too, um, paying my bills by doing theater and working in the acting scene here yeah. okay. um, for a couple of years. But after that, just the bills stack up, you know, <laughs> and like you were saying, it's like I would spread out that paycheck that I'd get from the contract I got for, you know, this one role um, with this small company. And um, in the end, I'm like, dang, I need to get an agent and I need to start like auditioning for bigger jobs if Mm -hmm. I want to really pay the bills with my passion, with this passion. And then after a while, I'm like, all right, no, I got to I got to get a nine to five and I got to just get get on the hamster wheel. You know, I don't remember what the original question was, but um, no, it's like, you know, we it goes to a point we all start out on, you know, you have an idea, you want to pursue it. And I try and be kind of, you know, he, you're young, you're getting, you know, right now you want to drive. He's going to be a driver and that's cool. And I'm whatever he shifts and changes, you know, I just want to be supportive, you know, and his ideas are totally different than mine. I'm not and haven't ever been into cars, <laughs> but he knows that, but he also knows I will support you yeah. and it's still interesting to me. And that's cool yeah. that you are going to like things that are different than I like. Yeah. And that's cool because you teach me and I'll teach you. Yeah, I, I was a mechanic for Ford in town, like Leaf Johnson Ford in North in North Austin. Yeah. I would R and I engines, which is, you know, remove and, and insert engines. And that was my full time, you know, assisting the engine guy. Wow. So I've done a lot of mechanic work when I at some point I'm like, 
I don't think I want to be a mechanic forever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know what I want to do. And then I moved to California. But Diego 11 cars, getting this go-kart, and now there's this little engine. It's like <laughs> when we bought the cart from Tommy down there in San Antonio, I'm looking. I've never seen the cart before. I've never seen the, you know, yeah, there's similar names, but everything's in a different place. <laughs> I'm like just staring at it, break it down. He's like, have you worked on you have a mechanically inclined? I'm like, a little. It's been a while. Yeah. But I think I'd be able to get it. Yeah. So it's been fun to clean this thing, take it apart a little bit, clean it, show him what's going on. He talks to me. Brakes aren't that good. Steering's a little weird. This and that. So just this last time, it was a big lesson for me. I need to listen to him more. Yeah. Because he was out there and I just bled his brakes. And I didn't have the 100% right tool. Thought I did it pretty good. But if you get a little tiny air bubble in your brake mm. line, eventually enough air doesn't let the the brake, brake pads push against the rotor. Right. right. So he's out there Whoa. telling me like, <clears throat> brakes worked on this turn. He's telling me, I, I didn't know the hand signals. He's like, give me But then when I stopped, in. I told him, so then he knew. But. He's like, I'm like, what are you hand signaling? He's like, well, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Wow. And I was thinking, well, yeah. I just bled them. It's tighter brakes than you had before maybe you know i was hesitant to just be like listen to him and think hey they're they're not working on some turns or they are he's and he trusted me like well i guess that's okay and he went out again on some more laps with no brakes wow and i didn't know that and he came back in or you can tell him and <clears throat> so a lesson for me is like if he says something's weird about the cart he can drive 50 miles an hour i need to listen to him more because you can say, "Hey, out of my own brakes, and I'm driving 50 miles an hour." Yeah. So yeah. the whole thing that happened is basically <laughs> yeah. you need to listen to me. Totally. So the whole thing. So the whole thing that happened is basically, um, we got brand new tires, and because we've been running the exact same tires for for like five, six months. Mm -hmm. So at that point, we needed to get new ones. We got new ones, and it takes like a whole day to like drive them and break them in. Yeah. Where they're actually really good. Nice. And we went out. And then the first time after, like, I don't know, maybe seven laps or so, the cart just died. So then we fixed that. Then I went out again. Then this suit, like, this older guy, like, an adult was going out there, but super slow. And at that point, because before, and I just knew my brakes weren't working, so I just forgot about it. So then I just started letting off the gas, right? But then this guy's in front of me. So then I'm trying oh, to hit the no. brakes, but forget that they don't work. Mm -hmm. So then I nearly almost hit him, like, five times. Oh. <laughs> Cause he's, cause he's a their terrible carts, rookie. Adult. Their carts are way bigger, <laughs> right? And then, but he's in the middle of the track, so I can't get around him right? without crashing. Right. So then later, uh, but yeah, at that point, the brakes were just like not working. At so all. they're so they're not so like I said on this track, <clears throat> only two turns really need brakes applied. Mm -hmm. So he was cruising. And I'm like, dang, he's really getting the hang of it because he's not breaking up through these turns. Like he's he's driving fast, like he's doing really good. And I'm like, he's he's totally broken the new tires. He's hitting good times now. He wasn't breaking because he didn't have brakes. Oh my goodness! But <laughs> okay, but 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 that course doesn't require them for most turns. Right, right. So he was actually driving really well to adapt to the new speed yeah. going through the turns. So his driving ability has really improved out of force because you don't have brakes. <laughs> right? yeah, totally. You don't have brakes. Like, so he, didn't have, he didn't have a choice. Oh, yeah. And then in my mind on some of the turns, because uh, 
when we first when I first started noticing that they weren't working, uh-huh. it was just one turn that they weren't working, but the rest felt like they were fine. And then in my mind, I'm like, that turn is cursed. <laughs> <laughs> and then, because I keep doing it, because every time I felt the break, I knew it wasn't, but it almost felt like it was going faster. Mm. So it, it was basically like neutral. It felt like neutral plus a mile an hour. So like every time I hit the brake, so. Wow. So now, so now we know if he feels something weird, ignore me, <laughs> pull off the track and say, fix it, dad. Right. And I need to step up and be like, you got it. Yeah. Um, so that, so that happened. So it was more like communication, you know, listen to each other. Yeah. And he, uh, this dude was really a terrible driver and he, yeah. he, he was wiping out on this one turn a bunch like drifting off the track and he would, Diego was right behind him and I saw him approach this turn where he had been spilling out mm-hmm. and he stopped on the track. And then I know Diego was right behind oh, him no. and I was like, uh, this is like a T-bone about to happen oh, and he man. saw him just in time <clears throat> swerved right around him mm-hmm. saved himself wow and you know and eventually pulled off the track but you know i think had he not been driving for the past six seven months you know oh. it could it would have been really bad yeah this day yeah but he had experience he's familiar with it and i think that was what saved him honestly <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and then even thinking about the idea that like you know, like you pointed out, Corey, um, that this scenario where all of a sudden Diego, you're out in the field, you're in there, and you're realizing that your brakes are faulty. Like they're there every now and then on a, the cursed curve, you get to it, and then they're not there. And then you've got this novice driver that's like an extra obstacle in the course, you know. Yeah. Um, and you going with the flow, like your dad was pointing out, like was pushing you to this place where you're like having to learn fast and adapt fast and pick up skills quickly, where it actually like forced you into this new sort of like this new level yeah. of performance because of a mistake. And yeah, granted, dad, Corey, it's like <laughs> it's a deadly situation to put it in, you know, to, to be in too, with especially with breaks. Um, but what an interesting like dynamic between you two as a team as well, you know, and what what the learning that comes of that. Like I can see it now, like Diego, you with, you know, you, your dad as your personal mechanic, you know, to, to fine tune and you're out there as the, the mad driver, like tweaking out and figuring yeah. out like all the little kinks in this machine, you know, that your dad's like overseeing. It's so cool to see how those scenarios are like fine tuning you all as a team. Oh Yeah. And this was supposed to just this was just a practice day. This is supposed to be just a practice because normally every time we go out, everyone doesn't like most of the time. Like our first time to practicing, like before I've ever like actually raced, no one's ever been there. They're only practicing the on the day before the race. Uh huh. So most of the time, I'm used to nobody there, and that that practice day was just packed with everybody. Uh huh. But. I mean, yeah, so it yeah, was, it was mayhem. There was it was supposed to be just a practice, but it turned out to like some whole mechanical situation and like all that. But it was still fun. Yeah, it was it was fun. You know, when he broke down, I'm like, wait, I just tuned this thing up, and he's dead <laughs> on the track. Go cart it back. I I set a valve wrong, so the valve just came off. How many valves does this just motor two, have? Two yeah, valves? Yeah, one so spark one plug, them, two valves. One of them looked tight, normal, fine. Yeah. The other one was just like dangling. Like Whoa. It looked like it was like hanging on like a little yeah, nail. off. I'm like, <laughs> oh dad God. failed. So. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. Like, we, have to, we just got here. It's an hour drive there. 
It's like 45 minutes. Yeah. Like, because normally traffic's flowing fine. Yeah, yeah. But that 45 minute drive, but. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Do I have to go? I'm like, nah, I'm going to fix this right now. Took it apart. Gas Put it back. Build up. There's this one little tube. <laughs> so basically, on the back of the cart, there's like these two pipes, and they're like two like cylinders. Mm-hmm. They have this little open pipe. So basically, a little gasoline, like a few drops every now and then, right? Is fine because it's normal because it's supposed to go into those two cylinders and evaporate and it, and it, and it keeps going like uh-huh. and it evap- and evaporates and goes away. But that time it was filled with gasoline. Oh no! So it like basically wasn't evaporating. Right. And so then we emptied it, and I was saying it looked like it was just peeing. It was like <laughs> flowing out a ton. The motor was. So it needed a little tweak. You know, it's a, it's a, I don't know what you call it. it like comes straight out of a carburetor, just like if you have excess gas. Like, like I said, a few drops goes in here, and it's just like a holding tank for to not to not drop gas on the floor. But it was filled Full. up like it was flooded. Man, and uh, I wouldn't have checked it had he not had the other issue. So all these little <laughs> things, you know, I'm learning every time. Like, okay, it's another thing to check uh, yeah. on the list. Yeah, yeah. Before he gets out there, because it's not a, you know, it's not a toy. It's like not a for fun car. This is a for real driving serious, machine. Yeah. So, uh, which I think he likes. You know, you know. You like he got he has gear to put on, you know. Yeah. He's gotta suit up. Before no, that I've <laughs> been like carting at like Circuit of the Americas or like I don't know, like other like urban air altitude or yeah, whatever, yeah. right? Like all those other like small like rental go kart places. Uh-huh. And then now to have like actually something, you know, and especially like when I first got it, I saw the gas and brake, they're just metal. And I'm like, Where's the green or the red? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like I mean it's like a crazy transition to go from like you know like almost like like for fun or whatever like rental to like something that's like real you yeah know? So. from like a kitty cart to like yeah the real deal because before they go like i don't know maybe 20 25 yeah and then you know but like i like the transition you know it's but it's cool that's awesome what color is your suit uh red and white nice and then, uh, yeah, but it's pretty cool. I like it. Yeah, you like to look fancy. Red and white shoes, red and white suit, red and white cart, white helmet. Nice. <laughs> we need to get some red and white gloves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's interesting? Thinking about possibilities. Thinking of like being here in the moment and then thinking about the past and then thinking about the future. Mm-hmm. But I think about, you know, sometimes I've heard people say like, Oh, for some weird reason, my car wouldn't start, or for some re- re- weird reason, you know, the door wouldn't lock or unlock or something, you know. And then you get stalled for just a little bit, and then some people like it's like my mom, you know, would be like, "Oh, good thing that that happened because you don't know what the what could have happened in the big picture, you know, um, in the future." You know, she'd be like, "Oh, for some reason, Mijo, your your car wouldn't start because there could have been something that that like." the big picture was trying to have you avoid, you know? Um, And so the idea that that day that you all were struggling with all of these other, um, normally nobody on the racetrack for practice. And then all of a sudden you have all these people there um, having the brakes messing with you and having all of a sudden that, um, that um, piston or whatever it was that was out of order, you know, Um, 
thinking of all of the different variables in that moment, it's like that was flooded for a very good reason. You know, um, we will never know. But, at, you know, um, just the idea that, you know, all of these near misses took place on that particular even evening. It just it reminds me of when my mom would be like, oh, it happened for a reason, you know, and you were able to solve it and figure it out. And you're still here. You're alive. Everyone's safe and all of that. Um, it just made me think of that. Interesting. Maybe that's um like superstition or <clears throat> thinking about possible realities, possible outcomes. Oh yeah, yeah. Like you can go, you can go deep into the butterfly effect. Yeah, you know, totally. You want to like totally unrelated, but one time there's this big hot this hill. When I lived in California, you go up to four hundred five, then you go down into the valley, and everybody's just it's just this big arc, right? And you get you, you we drive on the same roads all the time and eventually you're an autopilot and you're just trying to check out and you're just your body's driving but mm-hmm. you're mentally just somewhere else and i'm just cruising i'm just an average driver you know just a normal whatever and i'm crew you know traffic is no stranger to california but i come over this hill it was a light traffic day i'm going full speed i'm aiming towards my exit which is one lane over i'm in the lane I go over the hill and then I change over into the I'm gonna exit lane. I'm I'm hauling full speed, whatever. Sixty ish was really fast for Whoa. that traffic highway over there. <laughs> That's like unbelievable speed. Right. So I'm cruising sixty, flat out, come over the hill, not paying attention, just zoning out, and I look right ahead and all cars are stopped. Hundred mm. percent per usual. But on this day, I thought, oh, we're cruising so fast. There's no reason to like slow down after I come over the hill. I'm in the lane, and it's packed to the left in front of me in a split second. It's dead stop wow. train of cars. Mm-hmm. In that moment, my body did a performance turn, which I looked up later. I didn't even know what I did. But if you have both hands on the steering wheel, you turn your hands all the way where they hit. Mm-hmm. They literally touch, and then you go straight back. You go all the way, touch arms, touch arms, and back. That's a performance. You can weave into a next lane without fishtailing or spinning out uh, at high speed. (laughs) So my body went all the way, hit arms, hit arms, and I was was going 60 miles an hour and change lanes without spinning out. Yeah. Before I realized what happened. Wow. I was milliseconds away from hitting a stopped car mm. at 60 miles an hour which would have which would have not been good yeah okay so when you near miss death that close you i'm obviously i'm driving 10 miles an hour after that for a few days yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just <clears throat> grandma just so yeah. terrified i'm like i am here I'm maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Right. Why am I? You know, right. all these questions. Like, why did that? How did my body know to do that? I, I've all these. You know, why did? Why am I still alive? And that happened. How did right. my body right. even know to react in a way that I've never trained or done before ever? So that I'm like, okay. Like for a few days, I felt like I did crash, mm. and now I'm just like a vessel. Like, whoa. My body is actually, I'm somewhere else, but now I'm like just kind of holding space for this body that's walking around right. because that was supposed to not be yeah, here totally. type weirdness. So that 
that just reminded me of that because that, that was like a very, very close call where there's a few times, you know, you can have some close calls, but that one was legit. That I was going so fast. I don't know if I would have made it out of that. One. Yeah, totally. You know, so that could happen. So maybe your body just went into <laughs> hyper, you know, the neurons connected all crazy and they knew to perform at the right time and just took over. Uh, because wow. I, I wish we had a timer for his lap times because I know for a fact it would have been as fast as times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we're going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is so interesting. It makes me think of like, wow, that scenario that you brought, Corey, that was left field, you know, that wasn't necessarily with topic, yeah. but my like superstitious, ref, you know, reflection about um, f- future possibilities, butterfly effect, all yeah. of that um, makes me think of this like idea that there's um you know all thoughts all ideas all solutions everything that has ever been thought up of um somehow exists in this you know sphere around the earth that maybe we can access in whenever we're thinking of things whenever we're meditating or dreaming or something and it makes me think that you know you know somebody thought of some brilliant idea or maybe there was a driver who uh an old race car driver who patented that move what did you call it? the performance turn or something like yeah. that you know and so that knowledge exists in this sphere of ideas around the earth mm-hmm. that um you can get to and think of you know you can get to and access and extract and pull back um if you think if you're just exploring your thoughts if, you know you meditate or you're in your dream space or whatever and every now and then, out of circumstance, it forces us to, like, make that junction, like lightning speed, like mm-hmm. lightning striking down from a cloud and hitting the earth. And bam, you got it, you know? And and the thought that, where did you come up with that move? How did you access that, the knowledge to do so? Like, there was some, I can go left, big time left field, but yeah. it's fascinating to think about. It's fascinating to think about. And also you too, Diego, in that moment when your brakes weren't working and all of a sudden you had this dude, you know, obstacle course man in front of you. And, um, but to be able to all of a sudden make those modifications and tap this, you know, your brain making quickly connecting synapses that didn't exist for you to be able to, to deal with those challenges and like bridge some sort of solution for the sakes of, survival (laughs) yeah for the sakes of just like getting through the moment successfully you know it's pretty fascinating (laughs) thanks (laughs) i can't wait to see your race dude yeah yeah the the amount of focus required when you're doing something like that you i love that he has something that he wanted wants to do that allows him to dip into a space where you can't think of anything else and they, he knows he has access to a hyper-focused ability mm. because focus is is a superpower. And I keep telling him he, has, he is able to focus for long periods of time. And that I keep telling him he's a superhero because that is a superpower. Yeah. Being able to focus mm-hmm. is really hard with the more distractions we get. Yeah. So knowing that when you're driving, you can only focus on driving unless you want to crash. Right. Is awesome. important. and. Sometimes I'm hearing in the singing in the back of my head like random songs I just listened to before we got to the track. But I mean, but yeah, you're right. But you know, it's really interesting. I think about Maria Montessori and and like the studies that she did and what she was trying to encourage her students, her pupils to to access and to harvest, 
to be able to harness and harvest concentration. And that's what makes me think of what you're mentioning, Corey. It's like in this modern day and age, um, people are starting to lose the capacity to, to harness concentration and sustain concentration to sustain that focus. Um, you know, I think speaking um, statistics or something, I don't know the numbers, but like the idea that people's attention span these days because of um, screen technology and how fast we get information and, and things like that um, is very small, like just, I don't know, 10 seconds or less or something. But atten average attention span, erase that 10 seconds thing, by the way, because um, I don't know what it is. But I, I know can, oh, I can tell you I work, <coughs> in, I work in film and TV and commercials. Uh-huh. We, we regularly make six-second commercials. Six seconds. Six seconds is a deliverable. That used to not be a choice. Wasn't a thing. Wasn't an option. So it's so thirty is uh, less average than a fifteen and a six. Fifteen seconds or six seconds is a typical ad. Yeah. Online. It makes six seconds. Makes me think of the whole like Twitter and TikTok <laughs> and all of that, you know? Like it's mm -hmm. just created this majority of massive um like like a hab it's built that. <laughs> like it's it's trained us to be able you know, not to be able to but like in six seconds yeah you're thinking of something else <laughs> you're mm -hmm. on you're done you're done with that topic let's go to something yeah. else you know so I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because you know part of you being a montessori teacher and this is a montessori kid yeah you know, he started in ib and the spanish school nice uh austin you know austin eco bilingual school where he was before he came to headwaters mm -hmm. and he was fully it was 100 percent spanish there and we have We've got you on tape. I got you on video. Yeah. Doing presentations. It was only Spanish. And full projects where he pres they taught him presentations, just like Montessori, um, bigger projects, yeah. present something in front of the class. Mm -hmm. And this is before first grade. So in nice. kindergarten, they're doing presentations. Yeah. And he spoke so much Spanish, I didn't know what he was saying. A lot of times, which I was proud of. I'm like, this is awesome. He's yeah. fully fluent. Nice. And so I thought once we get into a situation where it becomes all Spanish speaking, it'll come right back to him. Um, but as far as going from IB Montessori type mm -hmm. into Montessori school is, uh, yeah, I guess all, all what I see in him, I think, is a product of the Montessori system, which I, wasn't, I didn't grow up in. Yeah. But I, once, as soon as I saw the class. I loved it. I'm like, this is real world environment. And you're taught to deal with distraction from an early age because right. some kids are doing math work. Some kids are talking. Some kids are snacking. Some kids are doing a reading work. Yeah. You're doing this other project and you need to focus on what you're doing. Yeah. And not, it's, it's harder than if we said, hey, everybody's doing the science assignment the same now. Totally. We're all doing this. It's way easier to just fall in line, mm -hmm. do whatever else is doing. Not pay attention because you can just say, what answer did you get? What did you write? I wrote this versus you're doing something that they're not even doing at all, but you need to be able to do it consistently, you know, the whole time. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a challenge, which is going to be good. Yeah. Totally. Oh, man, that makes me think of um, just this last year um, I was talking to my students um, I'm working with younger kids this year by the way with second and third graders and uh, I was trying to communicate with my students and they were all getting distracted with s other things that were going on around them 
And at one point I said to them, I'm like, you know what? I said, um, I'm going to give my next lesson to you all, my next group lesson. We're going to go out to the playground and we're going to be out at the playground while um, uh, some, some other classroom is in like recess or they're doing PE or something really rowdy, you know, mm-hmm. where the playground's just busy and active. And it perchance like that same week, I was able to go out and notice like, oh, yeah, there's a class already out in the playground doing stuff like, all right, everybody, let's go. Let's line up. Let's go sit under the blue climbing thing, you know, and we're going to have, you know, I'm have a little lesson, little circle. And so when I sat there, it's like all of a sudden there was all these kids running around and and being rowdy and playing. And and I sat with the kids in circle there and um, started talking to them like real softly and real focused and presenting this like small, tedious, not tedious, but this like precious little thing. And uh, a lot of kids were like looking in different directions. And I was just like, you know, just reflecting with them about that. And they're like, Mm. Mr. Lalo, it's so hard to concentrate out here. Like the kids are being so noisy and loud and they're running around. And I'm like, yeah, they are. But um, you have the power. You have that power that you were mentioning, Corey. It's a superpower. You you can focus. You can look. Just look at what's going on here. And you know, by the end of the class, it was funny. They were all like, you know, struggling to stay focused. But um, you know, I just was um reflecting with them that you've got it. You've got the power um to try to harness um that concentration and apply it to whatever it is that you're working on. Um, like you pointed out, be it math or some cultural subject or something um but i don't know where i was going with that other than the example of um taking it to an extreme yeah Um, i I guess the the question was is that typical foundation is that a foundational part of montessori totally even if we don't talk about it um in maria montessori's um research and in her writings she wrote huge amount of books um, very scientific, kind of dry. I mean, the way she wrote, like a scientist. Mm-hmm. But what she was exploring, which was um, study, what she was studying was like the development of the human um, from birth until you know, whenever, till post adolescent, till till adult. Um, the one thing that she noticed that was keen to humans was the capacity to concentrate um, and the connection between intelligence and the hands. Like the fingers, the hands, like being able to, to, to write and to measure and to hold things. And, you know, us being the only, um, creatures uh, on earth that connect their intelligence and their capacity to think ideas and, and, and communicate. But, but the use of the hands, um, was another important thing that Maria pointed out. So concentration and the development of, of, of our hands. Um, but yeah, that, that, concentration was one of the most precious things that students could discover that the student could um start to explore and tap into and i mean we would refer to it as being able to harvest it um you know you recognize it you see it you 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 it's it's like a a, a muscle that you just all of a sudden stumble into like wow you know there's all this other stuff going on um but here i am working on my thing and i can i can stay on it and yeah i could go visit my friend over there i could go um take a little snack break too but um if i can stick to this and harness this concentration this focus you know i'll get my my project done or whatever um but yeah that is one of the underlying almost like a common goal even though we don't claim it like that that, that's just something that we kind of know as montessorians Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing that we, is, is 
something that we're trying to really encourage and strengthen students to harness, to strengthen, is the capacity to focus, the capacity to, to concentrate, and, to be, and then to be able to extend that longer and longer and longer and longer. Um, I mean, it's an important tool. It's an important quality of being a creature of this earth, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely is. And it definitely reflects in his ability. And you left, now you're in more of a, you're in a classroom that's more familiar to me where you're sitting in your chairs and you guys are doing the same thing now. But don't you feel like it was? it's easier? Do you feel like it's easy to concentrate and do your work when you're in class? now versus now. being in the Montessori classroom? Um, I mean, it's definitely a lot different, but like, I don't know, it, it's kind of like <laughs> both, both sides, like, um, like for, I guess, the school I'm in now, right, um, is like more of like, it can be a little easier because then there's also like, everyone's doing what you're doing, so yeah, it totally. allows, it's like making you like, I guess I should catch up to them or like, you know, and like, especially like I'm a big, I look like group projects and like pairing up and stuff and like being able to do that on the same work and like, you know, that, but then also on the other side of like having your the option to just do whatever kind of subject you want, you know? So, I mean, it's a little both, but I mean, I would honestly prefer both, but it's like, I don't know. It's kind of both. I don't know. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome, Diego. I like the way you think, man. Um, I remember when, um, before you were in the Thunderbirds class, I remember being, I think it was um, Heroes of the Past, when we used to still do Heroes of the Past. And I don't remember which um, elementary or which early elementary. I think it was early elementary. Yeah, it definitely wasn't K-1. But you were in an early elementary class and I didn't, you know. Were you in the Owls? Yeah. Okay, so... We were doing heroes of the past and we're all presenting to each other. And I remember I'm like, I'm like you, you go up to present your hero. And I'm like, who's, uh, wait, I'm like, wait. who's this, who's this kid? I'm like, who's this Latino kid? Um, and, uh, and then you start presenting about a skateboarder or somebody who invented some oh, kind of skate. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> and so here you are, you brought a skateboard and you're talking about something that I used to do as a passion. And I'm like, dude, who's this? I want to work with this kid. Like, I want this kid in my classroom. Like, He's like telling us about the guy who invented the Ollie or something. I don't I remember. I think it was the guy who invented the skateboard, I think. Yeah, because it came. Yeah, I remember that though. And so I remember going yeah. like, dude, this little dude's rad. Like he's talking, <laughs> like teaching us. His hero is this guy who, you know, invented the skateboard. Um, and then lo and behold, I'm like lucky, you know, you ended up in my classroom. And then we worked for those couple of years. And then I'm like thinking this guy is like natural, like the way he flows in the classroom. Um you know, he's at peace with this freedom to choose your own work and he can focus when he needs to. He has fun when he needs to. Like the whole ability to, to know when to work hard and then know when to play hard. Like I'm like, he's got it. He's got it. And I remember two years of, of experiencing that. And oh, and then what's really cool too, I think about uh, for one of your home projects when you were in the Thunderbirds, 
you did a, a research on, was it derby racing um, or some uh, kind of? Yeah, it was something like, I think it was like the rally racing. Rally, that that's what it was. Diorama. Yeah, dude, yeah. You, made, yeah, you were like research rally racing and you got all into it and you made the diorama with these little cars and you yeah, built the racetrack and everything. Like and I'm like, dude, right on, man. I'm like, this guy's into, into wheels. Like he likes wheels, you know, and the skateboards and um, motor, like rally cars and yeah. stuff. And it reminded me like in, in growing up in the valley, we were all about wheels and stuff and but either way so then fast forward to when you were about to graduate um out of the you know upper elementary and it's like fourth and fifth grade by this time you're in the fifth grade and i remember sitting down with you guys and letting you all know like all right y'all you've been in a montessori school for probably all your life and everything in the classroom that you've experienced the way classrooms work the montessori classrooms you have your math area and you have your language area and you have your science area your culture area you have all these little zones in the classroom where you do your research and you do your work, you know, and and I was like, I remember mentioning you guys are about to go to a different structure altogether and you're going to be in a place where, um, you know, I was like, if you end up at our school, if you end up at Headwaters, you know, middle school, high school, um, th we have a whole city block that is your classroom now, you know, and each each building now, each classroom itself is going to be that zone um, that is the zone in the Montessori classroom. You're going to have yeah. a math classroom. You're going to have a science classroom. You're going to have a history classroom. You're going to have a language, you know, classroom, whatever yeah. language it is. And the last thing I remember sharing with you guys was like, it's probably going to get easier to do your work. I was like, you're going to be in a time and a place where it's math time. Oh, now we're all going to work on math together. And we're all going to be, maybe you're at different levels, but everyone's going to be sort of on the same chapter and yeah. doing the same topic. And I remember sharing with you guys, it's probably going to get easier. Like you are now going to be, um, have a history teacher who just is going to talk history and you're just going to work with history and that's it. You're going to have a mathematician teacher, all math. You're going to have a language teacher, all language. And it's yeah. going to be very traditional. Like you were saying, mm -hmm. Corey, I'm, that's what I grew up in too. I didn't do, go to Montessori school either, but, um, the way I see it, like, is, I don't know if you're familiar with, like, uh, swimmers swimming, you know, on a swim team or even. My, one of my friends does that, yeah. So, I don't know. It, I swam on the swim team for a little bit, and I we had to wear these, um, you know, we had our Speedos to swim to be aerodynamic while you're swimming. So, you're, like, slicing yeah. through the water. But then we would wear these, like shorts that had pockets all built in them they're like parachutes mm -hmm. they would open up like parachutes mm -hmm. and you'd swim and it would the parachutes would fill up with water and give you drag like they would slow you down like on purpose you know um it's almost like putting weights on your legs okay. to walk around you know yeah. and you just wear weights on your legs and you like gives you resistance or put extra weight on your bike when you're biking to just give you that extra resistance um the way i see the montessori classroom is that the real world scenario of the classroom, like you were pointing out, Corey, it's like, this is real world. Like this is life skills. You know, you're mm -hmm. learning how to deal with distractions. Everyone's doing a little something different. And um, it's almost like having that weight on you. It's almost like having that resistance in you. And so you build strength to be stronger than that resistance. And then when you leave the Montessori classroom and go to a traditional setting, it's mm -hmm. like you get to take the weights off your legs or you get to take the, you know, the parachute shorts off, you know, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're like, oh, dang, this is easy. Like, we're all doing math together. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Do you think that 
so it evolves into IB, right? So right now he's it's, yeah, ours does. Uh, so when he gets to the eventual IB classes, I, you know, from what I've read, that it gets harder with even more long, you know, longer papers, more writing, more reading. That IB graduates graduates go to four year colleges and have said that it's easier in college than IB high school, right? Because of the amount. They're putting the weight, like you said, they're putting the drag in the amount of papers instead of a five-page paper. Like, oh, you have four 20-page 20 pages, page yeah. Do at the same time, that's some serious pressure yeah. to go. So, But when you go to college, you're like, oh, there's a 10-page. Like, it's like a breeze yeah. from what I've read. Yeah. You know? So you have a hardship to look forward to, but knowing that it's going to be harder, which will make it easier later. Yeah. You know, it kind of follows in life. So Montessori, it's <clears throat> tough. You go more traditional, streamline, uh, as far as, you know, doing the same thing in the same classes. And mm-hmm. then IB, it's just the amount, the workload from what I've read is just a lot. And then preparing you to deal with this immense amount of workload when people are more are there more to help you with that pressure. So they're putting the pressure on you because they're there to help you. Because once you go to college, you're on your own to right. knock things out. Right. You you right. have to tell yourself, you've now learned from Montessori how to plan your week. Mm. I want to do my math on Tuesday. I want to do my reading on Wednesday. You're used to that. So yeah. when you get to college, you're just like, oh, I'm going to decide now. I'm going to do my homework for this class Monday, homework for this class Wednesday. I'll party on Thursday. <laughs> I'll knock this paper out Friday. You see how you're planning your week? Yeah. That is 100% foreign to anybody in their traditional school system. Yeah. You're just like, oh, this is how I plan. We did not learn not one part of that. Nope. So knowing how to plan, what you want to do, when you want to do it, and doing it. Yeah. You're like light years ahead of people because I told him, I would tell him like, hey, you want to have all your buddies over Saturday and you're going to hang out? I can tell you. You will have more fun if you finish what you need to do Friday and Thursday because then you don't have that weight of, oh, mm-hmm. I have homework on Sunday. It kind of bums you out and you don't really enjoy the Saturday. Knock the work out and then you're just like, now I can hang yeah. free. Nothing. Yeah. I, I did it all. Like You're more relaxed. And so he's, he's done a really good job at doing that. You know, Sometimes he's like, oh, I don't want to. That's too much. But then when he gets, <laughs> when he does it early, he has a, we're building a really good habit of doing things ahead of time. He's ahead, finishes it so that when they're like, oh, it's due. And like, oh, that's no pressure. Like, that's been done. No pressure. You know, but it's not fun at the time when you have to do it. It's not exciting to do a bunch of homework in a row. (laughs) Yeah. But he does it. And then I see the smile afterwards. Like, yeah, I knocked it out. Right on. Diego, that's a great skill to have already to be able to practice and recognize it. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of too, is like the amount of work that you do is going to be the same whether you do it early or whether you do it late, but it's the pressure that is there that is different. You can control the amount of pressure on yourself. If you do it early, okay, you're doing it and you still got to do the same amount of work, but you do it because you know that you want to have that, you know, that, that play date or, you know, mm-hmm. and also have the that Sunday after the play date to not be cramming it all in. The same amount of work, but now you've got to a hard due date, which is, you know, finish it by Sunday night before you go to school on Monday. Um, I think to have that skill is really awesome. Or to just even be aware of it. 
So keep keep that keep doing that. <laughs> That's <laughs> keep doing that. <laughs> All right, what else you have in that Mars mission right. over there? Right. <laughs> um, when did you like start to decide like, I, oh, I want to be a teacher? Or, like, when did you start like seeing yourself as a teacher? Um, wonderful question. Thanks, Diego. Honestly, it was when um my kids were born. Like uh, 20 years ago, my kid Liliana was born. And at first, my wife and I were, were like, we're going to homeschool our kid. We're going to homeschool. And we were living in, um, in Ithaca, upstate New York. And, you know, we started homeschooling our kid. We're both working. And um, we realized that here we have a you know one-year-old kid now, so two-year-old kid, mm-hmm. and we're homeschooling. And the only bit of culture that they're learning, the only thing they're learning and, and experiencing is directly interacting with their mom and dad, with, you know, two adults. And we're like, yeah, no, that's great. That's great. You know, that's that's what we want for them. But by the time Lee started getting to three years old, we were thinking, you know, Maybe we should, uh, oh, and, and about two years old, we like started realizing there was other homeschoolers in the community. Mm-hmm. And so there was this coalition, like a homeschool, Ithaca homeschool coalition that we decided to join. And we started meeting up with other homeschoolers at parks and, you know, at the library or whatever. And the cultures in the homeschooling community were all over the place. I mean, they were like very traditional people you know very conservative people then you had very free like hippie style cultures then you had punk rock cultures you had all these people that all had a different um like a different um set of morals i guess Mm -hmm. family values and so sometimes we'd be out at the park and here we have all of our two-year-old kids and one and a half two three-year-old toddlers all running around and some kids are like rude and, and being like using language that was like, we're like, my gosh, I can't believe those parents aren't saying anything about like that. Like they're, and they're like, no, they'll figure it out on their own. And I'm like, yeah, well, give them a little coaching, like help them out, dude. They're being rude to each other right now. And we don't want to, you know, we don't want to endorse that. We don't want to strengthen that. We want to let them know right off the bat, like, hey, use your words like this or whatever. And so um, by three years old, my wife and I were like, you know, we think that we want our kid to experience school (laughs) we want them to be (laughs) with other kids their age you know with a teacher with you know and so we started looking into schools and um i mean by that time diego to, to answer your question the first two to three years raising liliana i started feeling like oh here i've got this little being looking at me all the time everything that i'm doing they're watching and they're taking in Everything that I'm saying, they're taking in, you know, and um, I had to realize like, you know, good thing I straightened up my language and good thing I straightened up a bunch of my habits when I was younger, when I met my wife, Um, because if I was being rude myself and using language that was like not very nice and not very kind, here this little one is soaking it up, you know, soaking it up. And so by Mm -hmm. default, they would be rude themselves. And so by the time um, we started thinking of school real school well by that time i'm like yeah so i'm educating my kid and i'm not even i wasn't intending to be an educator but here i am teaching Mm -hmm. 
naturally teaching, you know, brings me back to my, you know, feelings of my dad. Like he taught me so much and he didn't even think he was teaching me, I think, you know, it's just, just being a kid, you learn from your parents. So when we moved back to the Valley, South Texas, um, where I was born, we started looking at schools and we found a Montessori school there, Mm -hmm. um, the town right next to ours where I grew up. And um, so I went to the Montessori school and we went and toured it. And when I went into the Montessori classrooms, my wife and I were both just like, what is this? What is going on here? Like, how is this? How does this work? You know, like, here's all these little kids and they're, they're doing things like mm-hmm. they're focused. It's not like rowdy daycare and like craziness, you know, everything. There was this structure and this order order to it. And the, the two adults working in the classroom were like speaking to the kids very respectfully and very like calmly. And it's all it was. You know, it was a little rowdy here and there, but for the most part, I was thinking, dude, this place is going to, like, be torn apart. Yeah, totally going (laughs) to fall apart. It's going to go up in flames, you know, all these kids just. But no, there was this beautiful order to it. And I was, like, beside myself. I'm, like, the way that the teachers were talking to the kids. And this is, like, preschool. This is, like, third, third, three, four years old. You know, three. Lee was going to be four, Mm -hmm. I think, going into this. So it's, like, a, 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 a primary classroom. And when i saw those adults and then we saw the how the 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 early elementary classroom teachers worked and the materials and we saw how the upper elementary and so once we toured the school i was like what dude this is awesome like i want this for my kid like i want my kid to experience this so we enrolled lee into that and lee started learning you know started going to school in a place that we naturally felt like we were in tune with like it the values of Montessori the more we you know at first we're like Montessori is that a Montessori is that a monastery we're like is this like a a Catholic school or what is this you know (laughs) so we did our research and we like then we learned about who Maria Montessori was and what the Montessori method teaching method was and then we were just like dude this is naturally like we're already in alignment with this but we could be more and so Mm -hmm. having our kid go through it um I think for me it started to solidify my interest it started to like pique my interest even more you know and at the time i was working at i was working at uh for the airlines i was working with around airplanes big big engines and a lot of toxic chemicals you know being out on the the airport and so Mm -hmm. as exciting as it was to be able to travel around to you know go visit my wife's family in chicago and and just go where we needed to quickly and efficiently there was a part of me that's like i need to get out of this industry this is not a healthy industry um, and so naturally I started thinking, man, maybe I could be a teacher. Maybe I could be a Montessori teacher. Like specifically, that was it. I was like, what's happening here with my kid and her teacher, you know, and I would volunteer, I would go into the classroom and do whatever I could when they would let me in, you know, mm-hmm. cause like Montessori classrooms are kind of closed off. They're like these little cells that, you know, the, the teachers don't want to disturb the busy bees working in the classroom, right. you know, yeah. have a parent like, Hey, what's up? How can I help? You know? And. So um, when they were, whenever they would let me volunteer, I just was like looking around, just like, this is amazing. This is awesome. Like, I want to be a part of this. A year after Liliana started going to school, my wife got hired to be the art teacher in that Montessori school. So my wife was teaching art and I would help my wife with after school art. So then I'd go and same thing, just get a little closer, get a little closer. And around that time, Manu, my son was born. And then when he was old enough, he went into the Montessori school too. But by this time, it was like four years, five years into being a Montessori dad that I was like, 
talking to the director at that school going like, how can I work here? How can I work here? You know, they were like, well, are you a teacher? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not a teacher. I'm a dad and I work at the airport. I'm like, but I can fix things. And they're like, well, we need a maintenance guy. We, you could you could start off by doing maintenance for us. And so I, I started doing maintenance at that school and I started just fixing things, fixing the, to- the, the toilet when it went bad or the door that needed this or mm-hmm. putting shelves up and building things for them. And it just made me become more inundated in the Montessori culture and watching the teachers do their thing eventually I, I like claimed it i told the director i'm like i want to be a teacher i want to be a montessori teacher they're like all right well you're going to need to go to training you need to get your montessori credentials and and before you can you know work as a montessori mm-hmm. teacher you know mm-hmm. and little by little it's like that led to coming to headwaters so did you um, started taking classes at night or weekends or well what ended up happening was we would come to austin for the summers we'd do summer camps in austin um camp indigo um you know, we would drive up, do two weeks of Camp Indigo. My wife and I would volunteer uh, at this camp, and we wanted to be in Austin. But we just, the timing wasn't right. And so about when Liliana was now in the fourth grade, we got a call from some friends that were working at what used to be the Cabelli School and the Primavera mm-hmm. School, which turned into Headwaters. And they said, hey, there's some positions that are opening up at the school up in Austin you may be interested in them. And I'm like, yeah, which school is it? And they're like, oh, Primavera and Cambelli. They just, you know, they just merged. And by that time, my wife knew that that was the school. We wanted our kids to go to this school. Mm -hmm. We wanted them to go into what turned into Headwaters. And so to have a friend say, hey, um, I can set up an interview with the director if you want. um, And you can start working entry-level jobs at this school over here in Austin. I mean, we were like, dude, that's our door. That's our doorway into Austin because it's, you know, it's, it's work, mm-hmm. one. And then two, then we'll figure out where we're going to live, you know. But if we got work set up, then all right, we're good. When I went and interviewed with the director at the time at our, you know, elementary mm-hmm. campus, um, you know, she told me of a couple of openings, you know, and I was doing like creativity club and the art, art, um, one of the art guides and the PE guide mm-hmm. and, you know, all the specials and, she asked me if I was interested in being a Montessori teacher. And I'm like, yeah, totally. I am. And she's like, well, you need to go to training. And I said, yes, I'm aware of that. I'm aware and I want to go to training. And she was like, well, if the time came, would you be willing to do these? Well, would you do these entry level jobs? Would you be a specials teacher? And would you do creativity club and learn our culture? You know, learn what Headwaters is all about. And in time, they're like, we're going to need another upper elementary teacher. And I'd like for you to be in the upper elementary program. And I'm like, that's where I want to be. I want to work with the older kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I've worked with the youngers and all of that, but I love being with the older kids, the older elementary kids. And so the school didn't pay for my training, but the school was able to help me finance the training. Okay. <clears throat> so they rolled it into my paycheck, you know, so I was able to pay the bigger like lump sums instead of like breaking up the payment over 12 months or over mm-hmm. two years and this, they, they helped me finance the training when it came. But yeah, two years into my working here at Headwaters um, as an entry-level educator, um, the opportunity opened up where they were like, okay, you can go to training now. We'll help you finance it. And it was – it's like there's these new sort of fusion trainings where it's like part online and then for the summer times you go do an internship and then you go on site and 
you do your residencies over the summer. And so it was one of those programs where I was like training while I was working. Wow. You know? And so doing all my studies after school on the weekends and just working for it, it, it took, it's like a two year program and it took me like four years <laughs> to finish. So, I mean, <clears throat> because you're working, yeah. then you have family, you have yeah. dinner, homework, all that. Then they go to sleep and then it's like, okay, go time now. Yeah. Now it's time for homework. Is it something like that? Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. It was but hard. you wanted it. I totally you wanted were gonna, it. You were going to accomplish this goal. Yeah. And you knew it would come to fruition. So it had a time stamp, right? It couldn't yeah. go on forever. So you pushed through to, to make it happen. Yeah. That shows, that shows that's incredible. How much you wanted to teach and learn and be involved in a such a unique time in kids' lives. Uh, it really shows your passion, you know, and your love and your care for this position and what you share, you know. Thanks, Corey. That's, Thanks. You know how hard Donald worked. Now you know what it took for him to get there. He didn't just Dude, parachute I, yeah. into headwaters, yeah. <clears throat> shoot <laughs> some, <laughs> you know, lightning bolts out of his fingers. <laughs> the new guide is here. <laughs> Oh my goodness, dude! I didn't even mention working working at the airport at the same time as working the the job here. Wait, so you're doing like so the before CC I was type? training? Before I was training, because um, I was working at the airport. You know, I used to work for Continental Airlines, and then eventually we merged into United Airlines. And um, but the cool thing in in the airlines is that if you could you could file for a transfer to different airport anywhere that that your company was located and working at. Okay. And so when I got the job at what was, is now Headwaters, um, I transferred, I filed to work at the airport in, in Austin. Okay. And my company approved of it. So I transferred to Austin. And so here I was working. Well, yeah, oh gosh, it gets sticky. It gets really. <laughs> so you're working at the airport. <clears throat> so yeah, I, essentially I was working my what hours shift? at the airport. Was um, it night shift? Night shift. Yeah. So you do night shift, then go morning day to to school to school to school Th that was my first two years when i was doing creativity club and doing like support Whoa. i was working at the airport at night closing at the airport in austin closing at like some midnight was usually when we would close unless okay. we had like weather hmm. weather and other stations then airplanes would come in late sometimes i'd be at the airport till two in the morning three in the morning waiting for an aircraft to come in Wow. And then we'd land it, we'd unload it, we'd we'd park it. Once we did that, all right, we're out. See ya. And I'd be driving home two or three in the morning. I'd come home, take a little nap, and like ding ding ding, gotta ah. go to school, <laughs> gotta go to school. Man, those days were ah. tough. I mean, but same thing. It's like you were mentioning, Corey. There was a goal. Like I had a I had a goal. I wanted to go to training. Yeah. <laughs> to be a Montessori teacher, get out of the airport industry, come into the educate Montessori education industry, mm -hmm. and um. But yeah, that was a nutty, nutty time. I would take naps behind the campus, you know, like between there was this weird split shift that I had uh -huh. where I'm like doing um, music class, doing art class, mm -hmm. doing Spanish class, and then school ended. And then I had like two hours or school wouldn't end, but my shifts would end. And then I had two hours before I started creativity club. And then I had two hours to do creativity club. So that weird little two hour break sometimes. You know, I told my director, I'm going to make a little space back in the back of the campus where I'm going to just like have a little picnic and I'm going to take a nap. She's like, mm -hmm. okay, that's cool. So I would go to the back of the building. Um, this is before we 
bought the the campus that we're at now we had a different campus okay and uh there was this weird little shed that we had a tool shed and it was behind the buildings and Mm -hmm. it's like it looked like an alley that was just overgrown and i like created this little space where i could you know take my little two hour eat a little food take a little nap set my alarm the alarm would go off i'm like okay it's go time i gotta go to creativity (laughs) club now um yeah that was two years of juggling weird schedules to piece it together to be able to get the door to open to train but train on the terms that you know were you know i had the job there ready and i had the team that was supporting me they were helping me finance it it was all like laid out in a way that's like it made sense you know it wasn't taking it on my own and doing trying to do it on my own you know which I, i know i wouldn't have been able to do it on my own well, they obviously saw something in you, and why wouldn't anybody who's so eager to do a position not be given the chance to do that? Mm. You know, like you wanted to be that. They saw it in you. It's worth the investment for them to mm. help you because mm. you want someone who wants that job. Yeah. yeah, you don't. Nobody wants to put someone in a position that they don't want. Mm-hmm. They're not going to give it their all. They're not going to care. They're not. You know, this is so important to them. You know. Yeah. You know, you definitely want and will assist anyone who really wants to be there. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, I haven't thought about that. I'm glad they did. You know, they say, oh, no, this guy cares. He's (laughs) willing to put in the work, work double shifts, whatever it takes. Because I knew if you wanted it that bad, you're going to give that much more into it. Right. Especially because you worked that hard to get there. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you're like, I didn't give sacrifice two years of work and then another two years of getting certified and right. then finally get in there to be like, nah, this is, this is, I don't care about this job. Totally. There's no way. Totally. You wouldn't have persevered through all that if you didn't care. Thanks for reflecting that. I haven't thought about that much. Yeah. You so. know that. You know, that's a <laughs> lot of work to get there. You yeah. know, sometimes when we wedge ourselves in a spot and you're going to bind yourself up one day sometimes you know you need to dig your way out and sometimes it won't be quick but as long as you have this plan like here's the end destination someone assists you along the way okay i'll give you a little help you plot it out say i'll do this xyz and there i am i just have to execute these steps you know it'll happen and sometimes it's on you no one no one could laser insert the knowledge of being Montessori into you had to take the training Mm -hmm. there wasn't a position open you couldn't take it because it wasn't available so you did what you could do with what you had at the time you made it work you know now you're inspiring all these beautiful looking children like this little guy yeah (laughs) that's a long journey awesome that's a that's a long journey that's how I. So well, I, lo- I love these conversations because <laughs> you sharing this, it's like he gets to hear from grownups where you, you see us and you think, oh, you're just, you're a teacher, been a teacher for since you were born. You were born as a grown up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. he gets to hear from all these different people of this meandering up and down paths to get to where they're going. So change is expected. You know, you know, hey, things will change. You adapt, you learn, but we learn from each other and nobody gets anywhere without assistance. Right. 
You know, I I trip out all the time. He laughs at me because I'm or anybody because I'm very easily amazed at everything around us mm -hmm. in its entirety. You know, everything we did, this microphone, this paper, this cup, this computer, the USB extender, your hat, your shirt. You break, if we could talk about, we would talk for days about every single thing we touch because thousands of lives are involved in every single thing that you touch. Totally. There, I was telling them the other day in the car, like, I, I think of, you know, in your house, you have however many people, everybody likes to do different things. I'm so happy there's people out there that their dream is to make a computer or their dream is to, I want to design this really cool Yeti cup that holds the temperature. I dream of this is my passion. I'm not going to make a cup. I'm happy that somebody out there is dreaming and spending their waking hours to invent a cup that holds temperature. Yeah. It's cool, right? Someone's like, I'm going to make a spring because it's so important. They will devote all this mental resources to make everything we touch and then they have this idea is the point that everything comes from an idea and to follow through and share it and start pulling more minds into, okay, I have this idea. Help me, help me, help me. I need, you can't do it by yourself. Okay. I, I want, okay. Now I know what I want to make now. Where, what materials do I use? There's another person dreaming of the materials. I want to collect the iron or the aluminum and make a machine <laughs> that can turn aluminum into any shape. Yeah. I dream of this. Like, we need all, everybody's visions to pursue that, that, you know, millions of different things that they really are in tune with and attacking and thinking of and to not take for granted anybody anywhere, right? So the guy at the grocery store, the guy at the gas station, the delivery guy, the gas guy, we could easily be any one of those people at any moment. And we need them because we can't have everything by ourselves. He's like, oh, it's all on me. Well, you, where do you get your groceries? At HEB. Who, who delivers the groceries? Oh, the truck drivers. Well, the truck drivers didn't make the food either. Right. They picked it up from the warehouse. Or the farmers. Or the people at the plants. Or the people that made the packages. Or the designers that made the packages. Right. Now, those people work where? In a building. Well, who built the building? Yeah. Someone dreamt of making a building. It never ends. Yeah. So, I think the point is, you need to treat collectively more people with more respect because mm. we need everybody yeah you know yeah mm. that's my tirade or whatever you want to call it <laughs> my rant that i continuously think you know when i see anger or frustration and so there's always another reason mm. you know when people are being mean to you or talking smack to you um or aggression comes out and you you know it's not warranted you know you didn't do anything wrong the and I'm checking myself because the knee-jerk reaction is to be like, you come at me crazy, I, you want to bounce, you want to mirror it. Right. But it has nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. It's coming from some other mm -hmm. place and they don't know where to direct it. So if you can have the confidence in yourself to know, oh, th this attack or energy doesn't belong to me mm -hmm. and be able to deflect it or, or, or let them see it. Yeah. Right? By asking a question. So- I'll give you an example. I used to take jujitsu. I got out of a uh, two hours jujitsu class, right? Long, another good session with my teacher. He's always saying, you know, be mindful. You never want to use this. This is self-defense. It's right. not called self-offense. Right, right. And people forget that. It's yeah. defense. You don't go attack people with yeah. what you know. 
Mm. I'm like, okay, but you want to. You're like, I have this power to like manipulate a body and throw you or break your wrist or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And you want to see its power, right? He was asking me the other day. He's like, I want to see if it's yeah. real. Sometimes every now and then it's like, <laughs> I'm like, is everyone any, is, is anyone ever going to actually come at me or did I learn this for nothing? Mm. He's not, it's almost like in the back of your head, you're thinking like, come at me, bro. You know, let me let, test me, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the the thing I was telling him was, I know what that feels like. You have the ability to hurt, and you don't know if it's going to protect you. So you kind of want someone to attack you so you can no. see if it works, right? Or yeah. No? Right. You someone might attack you, and you want to see if it works. You want to use your power is the point. Yeah, totally. We all have powers that we want to show that we know something, right? So I was telling him that's dangerous because if you invite aggression at you you you're inviting bad towards you so that you can test your power right you're now being offensive Mm. not Mm self-defensive you're actually being the person you're being the attacker by wanting to be attacked Mm, by instigating it by pulling it and if you instigate you're in the wrong mindset and what you know won't work mm. because you're not in the right frame of mind. He's telling me like one time one of his friends like told him. Oh, I forgot. What it yeah, it happens. There, other guys have the same thing. Like so, some of the guys in right? class, you'd have like, I want to, I want to use this. Yeah, right. They would want to use it, mm-hmm. and almost to a point, kick off a situation. Not trying to devise it where it wasn't their fault, but right. really they instigated it right. subliminally. They lost. Mm. They they lost. Because they the whole physically, point of like, the thing is to protect yourself, yeah, not yeah. to go out. Yeah, you're being the attacker. Guess what? Now you're from the attacker. From the beginning. Yeah, so, from the beginning. So all their knowledge, they were being in the attack mindset, and it didn't work. They lost their fight. It didn't go well. And then they come to class and say, well, I, you know, you've been trained for two years and you lost. Why? And the teacher's like, well, because you instigated, yep. you became yep. the attacker. Right. Right. You were bringing the negativity mm. towards somebody. Mm-hmm. So you lose. Right. That's not what we teach. Right. So he was having one of those lessons. I left class. I was riding my bike uh, back home. Diego was a baby. He's probably like six months old. I would go to class ride my bike home and then i was trying to stay away from traffic i was on the you know it's always like should it be on the sidewalk or should it be on the road right yeah it's probably safer on the road because sidewalk is always dangerous with cars pulling out other driveways yeah totally. so i was like staying out of the way it was a little bit towards dusk a little dark and cars are coming so i was like i need to just stay out of the way and some car came really close to me mm. rubbed uh, his car driving Your against handlebars. my handlebar oh. and I was like whoa and I'm Yikes. you know I don't want to spin out and it yep. but it rubbed my handlebar yeah luckily I didn't Dang. fall and I I pulled over and the guy whips a u-turn comes straight at me no slams right what's your problem man what's up with you like starts wow. starts yelling mm-hmm. all every every bad thing he's like attacking me right? wow I just left two hours of jujitsu class. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, and what you said, I'm like, I'm thinking, this is the time I get to shine, right? It's going down, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But I just heard a story of a mm. guy who lost by being the attacker. The attacker. 
So this guy's yelling at me, cussing at me, mm. gets out of his car, is approaching me. Wow. Right now. Wow. Big dude. Yeah. You know, everybody's bigger than me. That doesn't say a lot, but he was a big dude. <laughs> <laughs> but he got out and he was still cussing at me, yelling, approaching me. Mm. He's coming at me with all this energy to fight. Yeah. And I just said, hey, man, are you okay? He's like, he's yelling. I'm like, yeah. hey. I was like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. He's like, what? What are you talking? I'm like, are you all right? Because, you know, you hit me. Like, are you all right? Yeah. It just squashed and killed all of the aggression mm. in an instant. It just stopped. I wasn't bouncing back that anger at him. He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, well, that's good. That's good. He's like, well, you, my car, you know. I'm like, all right, let's check out your car together. Yeah. And he's still like pumped up and right. adrenaline. Also, I'm like, mm-hmm. He's like, look at this you know, crazy streak you did, but it's from the rubber from the handlebar. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, okay, let me let me help you. And I just kind of took with my finger and rubbed the car. Yep. The little bit of rubber the came rubber. off. Yep. It started to come right off. Yep. And I, I did it for a couple of seconds. I'm like, okay, it's coming right off. I think your car is going to be okay. I said, do you, want me to, do you want me to finish the rest? Right? Because it was a, like maybe a two-foot streak. Yeah, yeah. He's like, no, no, I, I can do it. It's like, okay. <laughs> and then he got in his car and left. Now, that could have went two ways. Totally. <laughs> totally. I was thinking what Diego was thinking that week. Let's go. I was in that, yeah. I want something to go down. Yeah, yeah. So I asked for it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I put it in the universe. Bring yeah. It. I'm asking Bring it. for it. But the universe put that conversation in my classroom that day mm-hmm. for me to hear that. Mm. And then it happened so that I could check myself and be like, oh, that's right. Don't be the aggressor. That sequence of events that we were talking about earlier is exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. I, When you put something out there like, I want, yeah. bring me the aggression. Yeah. And my teacher was there for me to say in the class, to say, oh, you know, don't, don't do that. And I didn't do that. And I told him the story the next class. Mm. And he's like, of course, of course it happened like that. <laughs> he's like, you know, it's like a, you know, a martial arts teacher. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's true. A master. He's a master. Yeah. And the classroom agreed. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And they all had a similar story. Mm-hmm. And it's those times I'm like, oh, that's jujitsu. That's it right there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like... <clears throat> That is jujitsu. Okay. That's the real jujitsu. That's the real walk right there. The mental one. Yeah, totally. I mean, the physical one's good too, but you have the comp. So here's the thing. You have, I have the confidence to do the mental jujitsu because of a foundation of physical. So if it went down to it, I feel safe, but I was brave enough because of feeling physically safe to be mentally safe. Yeah. To say, oh, I, I'm not worried about it because if it goes down, I'll be okay. But I don't need to go there. Yeah. And that's what the conversation we had. You know, and I know I know what it feels like because I let him kick me and punch me and smack me. It's good times. Nice. <laughs> <You know>? Nice. <laughs> He's strong. He's getting very strong. What a story. Wow. And that's awesome to be able to share it with Diego. Because, I mean, I think about a couple of things. When you're sharing that story, Corey... Um, and I love that you like highlighted the realization of like, oh, that's jujitsu right there. It's like being able to to reflect and to 
take that energy and and turn it use it against uh, a jujitsu something like using you deflect their energy back to them to them yeah mm -hmm. and so to be able to do that in the mental in the space i mean yeah that's masterful that's like starting to walk the walk you know um rather than just training for the walk um but it was making me think of a couple of things it was making me think of uh the idea of like you know think of thinking about our ancestors thinking of our um not ancestors of like you know my great great grandpa my great 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 you know but think and not even thinking ancestry of like um the dark ages or the bronze age but thinking even further back you know thinking of our ancestors and thinking about how they created out of natural necessity of adapting to the environments. You know, you had this natural sort of warrior relationship to your surroundings. You know, you had people who went out and faced whatever, you know, they had to face for the, you know, survival of the, of the group, you know, of, of the people, the, the, the tribe or whatever we want to call it. And uh, there's the idea that, Back then, they were pushing themselves to the limits, and they were, you know, I, I, you know, I, I want to say that the warrior class, the people who were the warriors that that trained their martial arts because they had to in that culture, um, is has now is lying dormant within our culture. Mm -hmm. There's this like warrior spirit that lives in us, in all of us, all ages, any 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 um you know any gender, any sex, whatever. There's this warrior um, energy inside of us that wants to be, wants to know how far can we push? How hard can I push? How does it feel to be pushed back? And how does it, how does the grapple and the wrestle feel like? How does the the hit feel like? Um, that is just like sitting in us, just like wanting to know that edge, wanting to feel what it feels like to be redlined and pushed to the end, where you're just like. I'm going to break. I'm going to burn up. Like, ah, uh, it's, it's, I got to push farther to survive or whatnot. Um, and so, you know, to hear you all talking about it and reflecting about it, you know, father, son, my pops and I, we used to talk about it too. And, you know, he sh shared with me some self-defense um, moves and stuff. And I never took martial arts, but um, my dad showed me, you know, how to defend myself if I ever needed, needed be. And I never went looking out for it, you know, looking for anything. Um, but there was always that little lingering question within me, like, does it work? If someone came at me, would I be able to defend myself with what dad taught me, you know? Um, you know, and granted about fourth grade, there was a scenario in the play, in, in the sandbox, Ooh. you know, it was like me and my best friends playing uh. in the sandbox and we were pretending to be wrestlers. We were pretending to be like Lucha Libre wrestlers in the sandbox and body slamming and doing moves, figure fours and <laughs> the claw and all these moves in the sandbox playing, you know, it's like four of us, like just, and we were like, like my friends, we were like kind of the dorky friends you know we like to joke and make funny voices and and we're real quirky and into video games and mm -hmm. and we weren't the jocks we weren't the athletic but we were athletic but we weren't like that yeah. wasn't our path you know we like to draw and and make paper airplanes and things like that and so here we are the quirky group of boys you know playing in the sandbox pretending we're wrestling and a couple of dudes that were bigger than us that were in the same class not in the classroom but we were in the same grade mm -hmm. came up and were like 
get out of the sandbox. We're going to play in the sandbox. And I don't know <laughs> where, I don't know where, but I mean, the dude was taller than me, you know, big dude. Get out of the sandbox. We're going to play in the sandbox. And I'm like, we were playing here first. And all my friends looked at me like, what did he just do? What? He, what? And they're looking at me like, dude, you're just signed yourself up for suicide. What are you doing? And the guy's like, what did you just say? And I'm like, we were playing here first. That's what I said. And I'm like, where's this coming from? Yeah. Where is this coming from? Like, as you were saying. As I'm saying it, I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> this is the biggest kid. This is the bully of the school, you know? Like, I know him and his buddies. They like to hurt people, you know? And um, so right after I said it the second time, he looked at me again and he scrunched his face and him. He's like face to face with me and he scrunches his face. And just like my dad said, he swung his arm the way like my dad told me. He's like, when people like swing or get in a fight, they don't know how to fight. They don't know. They're going to swing sidearm. They're going to do this thing, you know, and when you do it. And so my, the things that my dad taught me, like it kicked into overdrive. I did a little duck. I came up and I delivered a counter punch mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, it like startled him and he tried it again the same exact way. And I was able to do the same formulaic like moves that my dad had taught me. And I was able to fend off this dude who was attacking me. And after the second um, come at me, he just looked at me and he was like, come on guys let's get out of here and he like walks away and all my friends are like what did you yeah. just do what did you just do oh my gosh what are you doing um but uh i think the idea of that warrior that that wanting to see what's at the end what wanting to feel you know where is my edge right you know when someone comes at me what does it feel like when i'm defending myself what is that going to feel like and you know all these skills that we learn will they work Will they work? Man. You know, it makes me think of also I wanted to appreciate, you know, um what you what we're doing here, what we're sharing here. And I'm thinking I talked about I opened it up with talking about my dad. And um the one thing that I appreciated most about hanging out with my dad, you know, when he was still alive when when I was younger, was um he would uh gather with some of his older friends, you know, some of his compadres that he'd say, and they'd all come over and they'd barbecue and they'd hang out and, and they'd tell stories about when they were kids and when they were in the barrio and they would tell all sorts of crazy stories about when they were in Vietnam and in the war. And, and they would just sit there and they'd have the, sometimes it'd be a campfire, like a bonfire, but they'd have a grill going and they'd all be hanging out playing, you know, Tejano music and conjuntos and all this, you know, Latino music. <laughs> in the backyard and I would be sitting there. And at the time I didn't know the value of it, but I would just sit there listening to the conversations, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I didn't think much about like the elders of my community. When I was a kid, I was just a kid, hung out with all my kid friends and my siblings and, and the adults were the adults and whatever. And that's all, I didn't think much of it. But every time that these older dudes would gather with my dad and they'd all tell stories and they'd all every now and then one of them would look down at me and be like oh yeah mijo let me tell you this and they'd tell me some little bit of advice you know some <laughs> wisdom that they were sharing with me and i look back now and i'm like dang dude that was a beautiful like cultural um it's like a cultural norm that is sort of dying off in this modern day and age you know to be able to to have the elders sit around a fire campfire and have the youth sitting around with them and the, the youth listening and, and, and maybe even interacting with the, with the elders, you know, it's a beautiful thing. So it's a wonderful thing. Um, 
thinking about right now, I can imagine that this is like our little campfire space is right here. It absolutely is. You know, and here we are talking, you know, from our generation to your generation and interacting and bridging this fluid exploration of ideas and conversation and, you know, what it was like for us and what it's like for you and just like kind of keeping it alive, man. And just want to say thank you. That's awesome. Oh, thank that you. That you all are doing this. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. That that's that's everything that I hoped it would be for sure. You know, congratulations and kudos. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's that's the mission. You know, that you said. I mean, couldn't say it better myself. You know, it's you know this, these little things are you know I've. I've reflected sometimes and done done solo rants or you know reflections uh even a, an ode even a, not a full poem but like a story you know to the microphone it's like thank you for making a conversation important you know these it just makes you know that we value your time we're gonna shut the door it's gonna be quiet we're listening to you this is the focus of this time is to listen to you and typical conversations you you don't know how valuable your conversation is being received you can make or take that whichever way you think right but in this scenario this campfire scenario you know that we're here to listen and talk to each other and that's that's what we're here for like no other reason or distraction or we're not filling time with you know conversation in the void or capturing it yeah to show you you know reminds you oh yes it's it's being recorded it's important to me it's you know we value this time right on yeah that's awesome and now we shall go eat some tacos and have more coffee and water what (laughs) uh, do you have any last words diego nope nope okay all right. Well, thank you. Be healthy, and let's let's maybe do this again. We'll yeah. touch on some non-local consciousness conversation right on this next time around. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Keep it up, Diego, Corey. Man, you guys are awesome. Father-son combo. Y'all picked well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 we can talk about that later. No, but um, seriously, it was a big honor. I appreciate it. Um, keep it up. You inspired me. You all yeah. are inspiring me with what you all are doing. Thank you. Take something like this back. I just bought a microphone, not like this awesome one here, but one that's similar to this, but kind of entry level um, with the idea that I could use it to do something similar to what you guys are doing here. So maybe I'll pick okay. your brains later on. Yeah, let's, I'll tell you about the mics and nice. the, the softwares. Most of it's free. Cool. cool. I'll tell you how to run it, edit it real quick. Right on. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, cool. thank you. All right, be healthy, y'all. Yeah. Oh.